listeners. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, wherever you're listening. Just want to say thank you so much for joining us for another interview session. My name is Daniel, as your host, your host as always. Today, I have the very artistic and very talented Scott Koblish. How are you doing today? Good. How are you today? Not too bad, man. Very excited to have you on today. Good. Yeah, um, I always like to uh, start things uh, off a little bit light uh, before diving into uh, the conversation. So uh, I want to go ahead and just ask you, uh, you know, a little icebreaker here. The book is about kaijus and climate control and climate collapse. So what is uh, your favorite kaiju movie or anime? Oh, boy, that's tough. Well, I, I grew up with... Um... What was that? It was like a Japanese robot. Like it was always like it was a giant robot guy that was always attacking like things. There, were, it was. I forget exactly what it was. Uh, it, Ultraman. Was, like, Ultraman. Yeah, there we yeah. go. So I grew up with Ultraman. Like that was pretty awesome. I love that stuff. That stuff was fantastic. Um, it it never was on like it was on like TV kind of on the Saturdays. I think like when I was growing up. It was hit or miss. I didn't quite understand the publishing schedule for that stuff when they put it on TV. Well, not publishing, but, you know, <laughs> broadcasting. Thank you. Broadcasting <laughs> schedule. And um, I really love that stuff. Uh, I love big monster things. It was a lot of fun, um, you know, growing up and, and watching that stuff. Uh, there was a couple Godzilla films in the 90s that were not my cup of tea, but um are we talking about the Matthew Broderick like, one? Yeah, that Matthew Broderick <laughs> one was a little tough for me. Um, but certainly, like, um, all the old Godzilla stuff was great to to, to watch. Uh, whenever I would watch it, I couldn't really tell. It was kind of like Planet of the Apes. I did, couldn't really tell, like, what movie it was because I would kind of come in and out of it. You know what I mean? Like, I'd turn on the TV and it'd be in the middle of whatever Planet of the Apes was or whatever... Mm -hmm. Godzilla was and I didn't quite understand that there were different movies that had been sort of dragged over to me you know um so it was kind of a uh it was a confusing childhood as far as those things went but uh, <laughs> they were everywhere when I was uh, growing up so um and I loved Pacific Rim um when that oh, came out right. well. um so so I, I'd seen a lot of the things, but I hadn't really seen them uh, like in a deliberate way. Do you know what I mean? So right. I come to it from that angle. Um, but uh, uh, I think that stuff is fascinating and really fun. And uh, even the word kaiju was such a weird word that uh, <laughs> I didn't really feel Pacific Rim. Like, I guess it had been around as the as the definition of those movies, but I didn't really piece it together. Um uh, what that was until like there's words that that pop into sort of existence where I'm just like wait a minute like when did that start and then you find out that it started decades ago and that you just sort of you might have encountered it but just didn't think about it very much I was having a conversation with my wife about 420 for some reason like uh, I had never heard of 420 until <laughs> like, a couple of years ago and then really? you find out it has something to do with the 1970s it was really? popularized yeah, and then it, we looked into it because we were like, "What? Where did this come from?" Because I, whenever school let out, it was not four twenty in the afternoon for me. It was like two, two twenty, two fifteen, two thirty. Like I never, I didn't quite understand where four twenty came from as far as getting out of school and then smoking pot with your friends. 
So I didn't really understand it, but apparently it, it, it kind of grew up as a, a blew up as a thing that the people touring around with the Grateful Dead were, uh, were doing in the 19, in 1990. And I was there in 1990, like I was touring around with the Grateful Dead and I just, I didn't see it or hear it. Do you know what I mean? So right. like when, people go, when people go, oh, well, this is where it began. I, I guess I was not hanging out with the right people <laughs> in the parking lot. So I didn't really, I, I never heard. And then decades later, when people go, oh, well, it was popularized in the parking lots of the Grateful Dead in 1990. I'm like, but I, but I was there. I didn't hear, you know what I mean? I was just, did I miss this? I'm sure I missed it. I wasn't too big in the scene. I didn't, I didn't enjoy the people around it. I just enjoyed the music. So right. it's probably what my problem was. Anyway, <laughs> I've wandered off. Um, Kaiju, uh, yeah, it's really fun. That stuff is uh, great. I, I, you know, big monsters attacking cities is always a fascinating kind of uh, topic. And uh, especially Jerry and I worked on that angle where it's sort of, you know, the original Godzilla films are sort of, uh, there's a retribution angle on like nuclear testing, you know, mm -hmm. and nuclear uh, warfare, um, sort of rising up this monster that comes out of the, out of the deep. And um, at the time, there was a ton of nuclear testing in the Pacific. They were doing it uh, in Bikini Atoll and a whole bunch of other places. So it was, it was uppermost on everybody's mind when they worked it. So we were, when we started on Kakshu, we were like, well, you know, there, it's good to tie these things into uh, a larger um, aspect of, um, of what's happening in, in real life. That Brian and Jared have been doing that with uh, War on Weed, mm -hmm. the secret War on Weed. And we'd, we'd done it with Halloween party as far as guns. And then Scotch and McTiernan. <laughs> yeah, with the Scotch McTiernan character. Yeah. So we over this past year, we were like kind of itching, scratching these itches that um, honestly we can't really do in uh, superhero comics because the themes are a little bit different. You know, they're not, they're not. You know, it's hard to. I mean, you can do a Batman story where they're kind of anti-gun. Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. there have been certainly you know he's a child of uh, of gun violence right uh, but, uh, but it's not really that pops up in superman or or um you know it, it it's a it's an uncomfortable fit i think right but if you're wearing your themes on your sleeve like we were this past year um you know tying that into kakshu was a kind of a, a no-brainer yeah. and then um, of course uh jerry's initial idea was to have well, I guess I guess I've seen him write about it other places where he, he was saying that he just he'd been watching like Godzilla movies and King Kong movies and they'd been rather asexual and uh, that had gotten him thinking. So <laughs> when he came to me with the idea, he was like, uh, you know, he was like, why don't we do a, a book where monsters fuck buildings? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know why we don't do it. So, <laughs> That's uh, where, where we went with it. And I committed to it in the art. There was a number of places in the artwork uh, where I could have um, demurred, um, respectfully demurred uh, for, you know, some sort of shadow or um, some something in the way, you know, like uh, the way that uh, they did it with um, the uh, Austin Powell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, something is constantly in the way of him. But uh, I thought, well, 
um, well, oh, you know, what if we didn't do that? <laughs> yeah. So I, clearly the book is uh, rated R. So, you know, it is. I want, <laughs> I want everybody to clearly know that this, this is a rated R book and it's not for, uh, it's not for kids. Anyone under 18, uh, uh, don't, <laughs> um, but anyone over 18, hopefully you'll catch the joke and, and see that uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. It's, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, a. Uh, it's meant to be taken in the spirit of fun. So. <laughs> right. And uh, just to go a little bit back uh, with this story, I could potentially see it. Maybe, you know, no uh, building fucking, but uh, definitely in D.C. It could work with a swamp thing or possibly uh, poison ivy. But, you yes. know, it won't be comedic. You know, it would yeah. it'd be a little bit more dramatic. <laughs> Yeah, it would be a little more dramatic. You're right. There is a Alan Moore when he first started on Swamp Thing uh, was certainly doing a lot of that um, uh, because he's a he's a theme guy. He loves to sort of approach his books from a sense of theme and, and character that um, I, I love that guy's work. So, <laughs> yeah, honestly, he's talented. Know, yeah. Even being mentioned in the breath where you're like, like that is uh, is still. <laughs> <I love> <laughs> <laughs> but we all have our different roads that we go down, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I did want to go ahead and ask you as well. Uh, you briefly touched on it, but what, in your opinion, what makes a great uh, kaiju movie, book, or anime? Hmm. Well, yeah, I think that those larger themes are the ones uh, where, you know, uh, you know, some sort of ecological imbalance coming back as a blowback to humanity. Um, uh, you know, it, over the last, I want to say, time that I've been alive, the the human population has almost tripled. Yeah. You know, and um, it's uh, remarkable to think, uh, you know, that it's gone from whatever two two and a half billion over eight now, and um, there is uh, you can hear the planet kind of groaning, um, you know, and uh, just struggling to keep up with everything. My wife and I are always thinking about where to move. We're in Los Angeles. We're in a very expensive market and we rent. And, um, you know, we look at expensive markets, but what winds up happening if you go to places like um, Alabama or Mississippi, the environmental rules are so lax that you wind up finding out that in these small towns, nobody can drink the water, you know, right. and that's not something I want to subject myself to, you know, where, where, um, you know, finding a cheaper place to live but a place that's uh, really struggling with environmental uh, damage you know to the point where you know we'll we'll drive on different trips past like you know cow farms that are on the on the five whenever we head up north to to visit some relatives like uh the 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 there's a section of the five that has a cow farm and there is always not only just the smell is unreal, mm -hmm. but there's a there's a literal cloud, like a gray green cloud in that area for about five miles, and you just look to your left, and you tons of cows just really like just living in their own filth at this point because there's thousand cows in this one sort of area that's just poorly regulated. It's right up against highway, so no one cares. But uh, what winds up happening is that this is how we manage to feed 88 billion people, you know? So like, this is the kind of, this is, these are the kind of um, environmental impacts that wind up happening because of the, the population growth of 
Um, you know, uh, this is these are the kind of um, things that you have to think about as uh, far as um, uh, drawbacks, you know. So when we put together Kaiju, we gave some thought to that kind of stuff, you know, like, um, you know, we're constantly dumping poop in the ocean and and uh, Kaiju comes up and rises up and <laughs> dumps poop and toxic sludge into the into the middle of San Francisco. And that's that's the general idea on this one. So, yeah. So two things. Uh, why San Francisco? And then uh, the other thing as well is, did you or Jerry watch uh, Jackass Forever? And the reason I ask is because when the cockju is shitting on everybody, it just reminds you of the opening sequence of Jackass 4 when they have that snapping turtle and then everybody gets covered in, you know. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. No, I haven't seen it. I, that's so funny. No, I didn't see it. Um, no. <laughs> but uh, uh why san francisco why not san francisco i don't know jerry jerry picked san francisco and i was like all right you know it's fun i've been to san francisco a couple times it's it's a nice city it's expensive as well but... yeah it is i have family over there so <laughs> okay, i've been there a few times like yeah it's very expensive i agree yeah, it's super expensive yeah i had a i had a girlfriend whose mom lived i guess she might still live there in san francisco she had an amazing apartment oh my god it was so beautiful but uh, I knew that that was rarefied air. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I love that the book is so self-aware. Was that the original plan coming into working this book? Uh, I know that you know, the writing is, you know, Jerry, but with it being so self-aware, breaking the fourth wall, making references to memes, you know, uh, was that a combined idea, his idea or original plan? <laughs> Yeah, Jerry does a number of rewrites. So like what'll happen is that he kind of uh, gives me a general idea of what he wants. And then I come back with whatever I've got. And then like um, he adjusts. And uh, it's interesting to watch his process because uh, we just, I guess we just put an issue number two to press. Um, and uh, there was a PDF of it. And there was a lot of added stuff that Jerry had, had come up with since the last time I saw this script on that book uh so jerry does a lot of rewriting and and uh, rewriting so um yeah i think a lot of it kind of builds from that like if he finds that there's a successful um aspect somewhere in that story and the great thing about kakshu is before we even went to print we we'd finished it um all 60 pages are done so <clears throat> um we had done everything already so if you've got something like that where you've you've got something that's working in the third act mm -hmm. you can go back and put more things into the first act that tie into it um, in a, a textual way um sometimes I, I i would like to go back and 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 add some things in an artistic way but that's not it's not as easy um as changing your mind about what the text is going to be it, it it requires not only me to change some things but also for um the colorist to go and do those pages again so i i tend not to once i've got something down on paper um i tend not to change it oh just did that recently on a project but but the project isn't isn't near completion yet so i i was able to take some a sequence that was just one page and then turn it into three pages because i felt that i needed to give it more room to breathe and that's that's uh that's you can do at the beginning of the project but not towards the end so um 
I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> no, it's all right though. I, I like the answer. And the other thing too, is with working with, with Jerry, you know, he has the script laid out. So do you, and he has an idea laid out already. So when he gives you the script and the general idea, do you already have, um, you know, a picture in mind or do you actually read the script and then just like, oh, I think this frame would look, or this comic panel will look great here with this idea or how do you, uh, how does it come off for you? We're, we work in a kind of a mix. So sometimes uh, if Jerry has like a really strong idea about a section, he'll write it down in plot and then uh, in dialogue, he'll dialogue it as well. But then, because uh, I remember that for the first, I want to say 10 pages, it was very tight. Like Jerry had a script for it or something like that, maybe first five or something. And then I, I went off and did some stuff from discussions that we had. And then we would uh, bounce it back and forth. We'd have a meeting and then we'd go like, well, what happens here, here and here? And I'd write things down. Or mm -hmm. I'd come up with a couple of ideas that would fire Jerry's imagination on something else. Or he'd say, well, we need to have this here, you know. So it's a lot of back and forth between the two because we can do it that way. Um, oftentimes at, at companies like Marvel and DC, the, the editor is uh, in between mm -hmm. and they like to have some sense that um, uh, they know where things are going uh, before the before pencil is committed to paper because honestly like a lot of those properties really do need to have um special care um you know i, I with, with jerry and my stuff i can add some things in that are crazy and jerry rolls with it and <laughs> we go back and forth but there's only really the three of us there's me jerry and uh, hi-fi when they're involved yeah um, like hi-fi had done some interesting things like i'd imagine and when the monster is pooping on everybody, like <laughs> I'd imagined it is brown, but the colorist came back with this lime green. <laughs> and I was like, that's brilliant. Like it really sells it. And then Jerry was able to sort of say like all sorts of additional things about how toxic the poop was. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a bouncing back and forth of concepts and ideas that I really enjoy. Um you know, between, between all of us. And, uh, it, it, it helps me to kind of, um, step up to the plate and do a little more, um, it's not writing exactly, but it's like, uh, participating in the way that the story's going to go. So mm -hmm. like, um, it's kind of like the way that like some directors do films, they'll have a general script of beforehand and then sometimes the actors will have something that they want to add in. And then sometimes the director will say, well, we don't have this location, but we do have this other location that we can use. Um, so it changes the story somewhat. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are all things that happen way before everybody starts filming. So um, it's fun to do that sort of stuff. Uh, for me, I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, it is a lot more work for me, but I, I still enjoy it quite a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like you have a little bit more uh, creative freedom working with uh, with image compared to the big two. So yeah. I, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, but uh, I'd seen I, I got a, I got some of this from working with George Perez. Like uh, what had oh. happened is that some, on Legion of Three Worlds, George mm -hmm. had uh, a whole bunch of ideas because he was a huge Legion of superheroes fan. Yeah. As am I. And <laughs> um, 
and he had a couple of ideas of things that he wanted to kind of add in uh, an unfinished business from other storylines that he'd been involved in. And uh, he would write, uh, he would hand in a page mm-hmm. and then he would write to the editor and to the writer. Um, this is what I was thinking in this, 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 and this, and this is where I added something. And this is where I, uh, I made sure that this landed in a particular way. And uh, with George's work, you could see where he got a, a, an original idea and he would sort of toss in a couple extra ideas, but he never lost the original idea. And uh, when I started working in Marvel, I, I uh, penciling and stuff, and especially on Deadpool, I would handle things that way. So let's say I got a script for 20 pages um, that had, a, and, I, and I had an idea that went for three or four more pages. I'd make sure to get everything that was in the original script in to the book, um, I would just add in those things that I wanted to add in. Then I'd make some notes and try and pass that information on. And, uh, you know, that was the beginning of Jerry and Brian and Mai's uh, creative relationship. So it was it was nice to start on that level. And then uh, it's been great to to continue doing it yeah. that way. So I don't know. I don't know how other people do <laughs> that's how I do it. <laughs> Oh, I like it. It seems like, you know, seems like it's still pretty organized. So that's what I like. And another question for you, too. It's kind of a follow up question, but working with the big two, it seems uh, when the editor does get involved, uh, they want more of a storyboard concept before actually planning out the panels and, you know, uh, doing the dialogue and everything else. Is that um... correct? <laughs> Yeah, well, they don't really ever dive into the artwork, really. Like, um, not a lot of editors are visually uh, acute. I've run across a few that have a good sense of what to do visually. But for the most part, I've been left alone when I've been penciling things. Like, I had one editor that would just send back, like, words like, pools, like, when I would send in a page, like, so I, 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 it took me a while to realize that he wasn't like making fun of me. He was just, he was just happy with what came in. <laughs> and then, and uh, when we worked on Deadpool, Jordan White was our editor, and Jordan's fantastic. I, I can't say enough high, high enough things about Jordan. Um, and uh, and then uh, I've done some stuff over at DC, but Jordan left me alone for the most part. Like <laughs> there was only one or two things that didn't pass legals. Um, scrutiny so i had to sort of fix those but like uh i've never really had very much as far as guidance as far as um uh the artwork uh, i did a little bit with katie kubert and uh, a little bit with Brittany halter um and those were great they were great they were great points you know what i mean each time yeah. that they mentioned things i was like yeah that makes sense um you hear all sorts of horror stories about <laughs> editors uh interfering with things but i've i've never had anything but um uh good results from pretty much everybody that i've worked with in in comics comics are you know they're everybody it's still it's still a a weird bastard medium it's um you know it's it's this conglomeration of text and images that uh is sort of a holdover from um early like political cartoons in the 1700s and 1800s and then um you know once once color got involved uh and and all the hearse publications um it comics kind of took off but they're a they're a combination of text and and images so 
you can do a number of things with it. You can juxtapose um, something like you can have a picture of Batman in the rain and you can say above him in a text box, um, it's raining and, and Batman looks out on the city. You could say that, or you could say in text box, um, the Joker uh, is up to no good. So you introduced <laughs> uh, the Joker without actually seeing him in the image. Uh, or you can say, um, uh, you know, uh, the rain falls on Gotham in sheets, just like, you know, like bedding. I don't know. Like you can just sort of add things in, mm-hmm. uh, raise up the context. You can also have Batman thinking it's raining. Or you can have Batman thinking, I wish that um, Silver St. Cloud loved me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can introduce a number of things into that, that image that uh, uh, give you depth give you context, give you uh, all sorts of things. We have a a big tie to novels where, uh, well, we don't do it as much as we used to, um, but um, there's the possibility in novels of of being inside the narrator's head. So oftentimes you'll read a novel and it's a first person novel or a second person novel or a third person novel. Like you can get into the, the individual's brain um, in a way that uh, we can do it in comics. You can you can add that kind of stuff in there. You can have Batman saying, watch out, and then have Batman thinking, I wish that Silver St. Cloud loved me. And that's the, <laughs> that, uh, that's the kind of stuff that comics uh, can borrow from, from books. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we're a bastard medium. We don't have sound. We don't have movement, but we have sound effects. That's right. Pretty- universally understood we have the ability to do a narration a voiceover like uh, in those text boxes or uh, in uh, uh, um, thought balloons we don't use them as much as we used to or and then we've got a number of uh, possibilities of using like um, context clues and and different things like uh, you can you can double images you can you can have the composition of the page be something larger uh, so that like you have a narrative happening through six or seven pages or six or seven panels, but you can have a larger image. Like I did that with um, in a Teen Titans book that I did. It was a, a sequence with Raven. And then what I did was I, I formed the page in like a Raven kind of, um, uh, you know, like a, an outline of Raven. And then the panels were inside of the, the raven bird you know what i mean like, yeah you can do that where you have where the art itself is giving some sort of context uh to the to the actual to the actual thing and then you've got uh re- repetitive panels you've got reveals if you turn the page there's a reveal every two pages there's some sort of reveal that the the, the reader wasn't going to expect um i did that in kakshu we had a, a reveal of the monsters uh, genitalia and uh, <laughs> you know it was one of those things where i'm glad that it was a page reveal because you know i've had a few people say whoa i was not expecting that you know but if it was on the previous page you would have seen it as right. soon as you opened up the, the page that was leading up to it so you have you have an element of surprise uh that movies have you know like movies or movies are in a linear fashion you, you're you're stuck on a train that's going from one place to the next and then goes all the way to the end over 90 minutes. In comics, people can flip back and forth. They can compare pages that happened previous. If something happens in the 
in the narrative that they need to go back and sort of double check to see what had happened previously, they can do it. They can't do that in film. Um, you know, there's, there's things that comics have that we are really blessed with that um, other forms of communication don't have. I like to play around with those things, whether people understand it, whether I'm doing it or not. And um, I, I like to think that like, so there was a big push in the, in the aughts to kind of make books, comic books more like plays. There was a few fans of uh, David Mamet. David Mamet's great, great film, film uh, writer. Uh, and I, I thought that was a, a really interesting path. But uh, when you're when you're writing a play, you're not inside the characters' heads at all. You don't have that access to it. You, you, you're not in a place where um, you know. In the play, it's it's straightforward. You don't have the repetition things that you can do, or the or comparing things back to stuff. Um, so uh, I think that uh, uh, writing it as a play can be limiting, and I've seen a lot of people. Uh, you know, go back and forth. You can write a comic any way you want. Um, I just prefer having all those tools at my at my uh, at my abilities. Uh, the The story that I'm doing next with Jerry is a it's a serious book, and um, we're using flashbacks as a, a narrative tool that mm -hmm. you can compare things that are happening in the current day with things that happened in the previous, and you can compare the two things. I think it gives a lot of depth to the to work as a whole so you can do things like that people don't i remember there was a huge argument that i'd had with somebody uh they at, at, at um one of the companies i was working for where they they were they were saying that flashbacks just were uh unwieldy and that readers didn't understand them and that it was a uh, it was a it was uh, in the comics that they were going to work on and that they were publishing no flashbacks whatsoever uh, while the most popular television show on in the nation was Lost, wow! <laughs> basically, it was that was a show where the only cue you had that it was a it was a flashback was a just a little whoosh noise noise, <laughs> and you knew that you were in the past. And it was a frustrating conversation that I'd had with him, um, where I was I was just just dumbstruck, you know? Yeah. He had a different approach you know he was a lawyer first and lawyers are they're taught to you know the narration is is key mm -hmm. in lawyering because you you you're in front of a jury and you say my client woke up at this time got into his you know they specify the car and then they and then they drove down the street and that's where this person drove through a stop sign and hit my client so that's the kind of stuff that's the narrative narrative skills that they brought to the table mm -hmm. They were a lawyer and the narrative skills that I was bringing to the table was, I don't know, 300 years of, uh, of narrative fiction <laughs> in the Western tradition. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 it gets frustrating to hear when, when people have, uh, I think it's a limiting, I think it's a limiting thing. You know, uh, I mean, obviously you want things to be clear. You want things to be, um, as as uh, clear as possible but there are times when you want to obscure stuff right so i i just think it's important to to use all the tools at your disposal right uh, 
gotten off on a tangent. No, you're right, okay. Uh, you're what's right. the next question? <laughs> no, I was just uh, going to add on to that, too. With uh, flashbacks and comics, you can make the character look a little bit younger. Yeah. You know, maybe uh, make it a little bit black and white or change up the colors a little bit. Uh, they use like a sepia tone or it gets washed out as if it's an old photograph. Right. There's a ton of little things. Sometimes they'll... <laughs> They would round out the panel borders themselves as opposed to being square. Like you do something different with the panel borders. Right. And then in, uh, in Watchmen with uh, Alan Moore, when they take the, the photograph, you know, it has the actual yeah. timestamp on there. Not the timestamp, but the date of when it right. was taken. And you're like, oh, that's a flashback. This happened before, you know, the Watchmen here. That's actually my favorite uh, issue. Uh, pretty much of all time, because um, up until then, flashbacks were kind of done as a narrative device mm -hmm. and not as a metaphoric device. So like the thing about um, Dr. Manhattan is that once he got into the quantum, once he was taken apart mm -hmm. and, put, and put himself back together at a quantum level, he uh, was divorced from the way that time normally flows. So for him, these flashbacks are happening at almost the exact same moment or they are happening at the exact same moment as his future self, as his present self. So he sees all of these things occurring uh, all, all at once. It's kind of like, um, I think there was a, a series of novels by um, Kurt Vonnegut that had a similar kind of um, uh, approach. The character was sort of unmoored in time. And uh, the great thing about that is that the flashback device is is part of the way that you're building the narrative so even in the book that i'm working on now there are relationships that i'm developing uh that i i don't want to be obvious until they become a problem for the character in the current time and then we can flash back to when there was a change in the relationship um in the past so um using that kind of narrative device uh, is really helpful. And in Watchmen, it was, the whole thing was, is, you know, the, you know, you would talk about how even the concept of time is based on, on almost odd things like the, the delivery of light, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. from one, one part of the solar system to the next, you know, the fact that the, the, the light of him dropping the, the image of him dropping the photograph on Mars doesn't even occur to Pluto until like eight hours later. Um, these are huge uh, concepts that you can sort of dive into. It makes your work uh, a lot more uh, centered in uh, people's uh, uneven experiences with time. It makes it uh, a, even uh, your, your, your uneven experience with like experiences in your own life. Like I have, um, memories that are sort of just free floating and then when something happens to me in my life that I can tie back to an experience I had 30 years ago or 20 years ago it's almost as if that experience is happening at that same time like they're kind of linked you know so everyone has this odd experience with time just to begin with um and um and uh, you know it like when I met my wife, I felt like I had been waiting to meet her my entire life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I didn't have, I, I knew that I was missing that piece, mm -hmm. but I didn't know 
was missing that piece or what section of that my life was not in in harmony so that when I met her it all sort of it slammed into place and I was like oh I can be like it, it eased my mind in a number of circumstances where I had just been spinning uh, for a long time without like um without the the, the proper gear to which the thing that I was spinning to, to have that work into, like the machine wasn't, the machine was going at a million miles an hour, but it had nothing to, to, um, to steer. It had nothing to like uh, attach it to. Uh, there was no other gear that was working properly so that like um, my life could be in a place where I thought it was all functioning properly. So like, but those are things that, you know, I would, walking the streets of New York in my 20s, I was like, I feel like I'm missing something, but couldn't quite put my finger on it, you know? So um, I think that those kinds of stories where you're, 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 you're discussing things that have happened in the past at the same time that they're present because they're influencing aspects of that story, that's great. And I really, I'm, I'm kind of excited to be uh, exploring that kind of stuff in the new project. Um, I don't mean to talk about something that nobody's seen and that, you know, it won't see until later, later, but um, those are the kinds of things that are really firing my mind uh, currently. So, yeah. yeah. No, um, I mean, I did want to talk about your future projects, so you're pretty much covering it. Also, <laughs> I hope your wife listens to this because that is the sweetest thing I have oh, heard in yeah. a long time. <laughs> uh, well, that's sweet. Uh, I don't let you listen to these things, but I tell <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> at any rate um yeah i um that's the kind of stuff that i'm working on now uh and um and it's exciting to work on that yeah. sort of stuff I, i'm really having a blast it's a fantasy book uh so it's not superheroes um although i'm i'm kind of approaching fantasy in well, I don't know what the end result is going to be, but uh, I, I was reading um, a little bit of um, Ghost in the Machine, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the manga um, book, and uh, I was really struck by the fact that, that there were the rules that I normally associated with science fiction not all there. Like uh, the, there was some elements of fantasy in there that really sort of made me sit back and say well um if you're approaching fantasy books obviously the king of fantasy is is a uh, tolkien yeah um, <laughs> the prince being uh, uh, uh um george R. R. martin you know so you've got these these rules that are kind of established um where you've got uh you know you can have fa uh, fairies and orcs and dwarves and and uh, uh, things like that. Um, but uh, having um, any machines are kind of um, in that approach that the uh, the uh, the Matrix took, where like uh, you've got some machines are uh, you know hooked up to the internet, and there's a modern kind of aspect to it, and the rebellion is uh, basically locked into um, having, um, um, you know, mechanical or steam based, you know, abilities and things like that. So, or, you know, everything has to be like uh, hand, hand moved, you know what I mean? Or yeah. 
So anyway, the, so I was like, well, I, I don't know that I don't, I don't know that I have to follow all of these rules. So once I, once <laughs> I approached it from that direction, um, the design has changed a little bit. And I think, it, I think it'll keep changing as I go along on, once I'm unmoored for it. I want, I want everybody to start out with the, the idea that this is a fantasy book, but I don't want to be limited to um, the things that, uh, that, base, um, that we base all of our concepts of fantasy on. Like most of superhero stuff uh, these days is based on, uh, you know, Jack Kirby's work or... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Stan Lee's work as far as uh, uh, characterization or we've had a couple big hits uh, you know like an Alan Moore and Brian Bendis as far as changing uh, how we consider uh, how we approach uh, comics uh, you know with superhero comics and uh, I haven't seen a lot of fantasy stuff dive divert away from it so it's it's kind of that we get the Tolkien, we get the Dungeons and Dragons, which is almost like a, a, a literal translation from the Tolkien stuff. I mean, like um, you do get you do get more focus on thieves, you know what I mean? But right, I, I just I think that there's a whole, you know, it's that it's that concept of like looking at the Middle Ages and um, sort of a, a building up a fantasy world around it based on some of the stories you know fairies and things like that and uh i i i i think that there's more that can be done to tie into things that are currently happening so that's that's where i'm going with it now so much like uh kakshu you know being like yeah. a, a way to to talk about uh environmental disasters or having um you know um uh, scotch mctiernan talk about uh the disaster that the war on drugs uh, happened uh, in the eighties. Even that was tied in directly to, I had a number of friends that wound up going to jail Damn. and ruined their lives uh, yeah. for something that I really walked down the street and there's seven places selling it um, wow. with uh, much cheaper than it used to be. Yeah. And uh, with, uh, uh, you know, they'll tell you how much THC is in each one of these things. Um, it's just, <laughs> Yeah. just boggles my mind it's nice i i appreciate that uh it's decriminalized and uh but it it, it is a it is a thorn in my side that yeah. uh that ruined friends of mine i mean once they were out of prison they were angry they their job prospects were dim you know yeah. you go from working at a pharma pharmaceutical company to working at like the local walmart you know um, right lives. yeah their options were fewer um they really struggled with with um careers and things like that and um and certainly that was where i was coming from uh, in the underbelly of uh the secret history of the war on weed we wanted to make it entertaining and fun i i didn't want to have everybody just be depressed at the end of the (laughs) book but i did that hit so like i added the last three pages in it wasn't something that Jerry O'Brien and I discussed. I added three pages in. <clears throat> Jerry had, had made some sort of offhand comment that at the end of, at the end of the book, uh, uh, Scotch winds up in jail. And I thought, well, what can I do with Scotch in jail? Like, and I thought, well, the only real, you know, there's been a couple uh, Punisher stories where the Punisher's in jail <laughs> or like, <laughs> in Watchmen 
Bartek's in jail. And I was like, I don't really want to focus on like um, them at the the uh, food line, you know what I mean? And they're in the cafeteria. So I was trying to figure out where to put um, this character. And I thought, well, you've got these um, um, uh, therapy sessions in, uh, in, in prison sometimes. And uh, that's where I went with it. I made uh, a couple therapy, um, uh, a couple images of, of guys just uh, sort of, um, you know, recognizing that this has destroyed their lives and yeah. this has changed, uh, not in a way that absolves them of whatever crimes that they had gone through, but uh, just some reckoning that everyone's going to have to come to at some point in their life about how the choices that they made under the circumstances that they were in. And, um, you know, Jerry and Brian ran with it. And, um, you know, it's nice to be able to, to put those things into comics. Um, uh, it's an interesting, it's not, I'm not getting rich off of it, but uh, <laughs> it's one of those things that's important to me. It enriches my life if yeah. I have those, things, you know, so um, uh, in it, you know, there's more to the life and your skill set than earning money with it. A lot of people don't even earn money with their skill set. They just have a job that they don't like in particular. <laughs> yeah, they, they'll focus their parts of their life on, um, uh, on things that they enjoy or things that they want to pursue that are outside of work. Work is almost like a, a like a side note. But with me, um, art has been my focus uh, since I was a little boy. It was the thing that got me through um, uh, every difficult time that I've been through, um, just putting my head down and working quietly and putting all of my anxieties aside and, and drawing, you know, it was a way to calm myself when I was, when I was young, I watched the same thing with George Perez. Uh, you know, he, he would talk a mile a minute. There was almost, <laughs> he was almost stumbling over the words that he would say constantly. And I realized after a while, I was like, well, he's, either undiagnosed or uh, just, but he clearly has some sort of autism or ADHD kind of aspect that uh, if you ever watched him sit and draw, that's when he's quiet. You know, he mm -hmm. puts all of that energy, all of that spinning in, into his work so that there's this peaceful moment physically, even though your mind is active uh, and directed. So yeah. that you're, you're directing or you're, um, your anxiety, you're directing the things that are pulling you into the work that you're doing. Um, I think it's very helpful to have that sort of thing. Artwork has been my, my, um, you know, the thing that that's kept me going through all of my life. Uh, I've had it as a partner to me since I was three and, uh, it's the partner that'll be with me to the end. Um, as far as that goes, um, you know, it's just something that, uh, that as an artist, you, I meet lots of kids uh, at conventions and their parents are beside them and the parents are anxious because the kids want to draw mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they, they want to have a career in art. And uh, people are told constantly that, um, that it's not a fruitful um, path, you know, but I have, they took whatever jobs, they were kind of curious about or whatever, but they the company fires them within five years and then they have to change careers and they have to take the whatever skill set and maybe a little parts of it or adjust little parts of it. And 
just for money to try and live. And I don't, I don't have that path. I art, artwork is a path. It's a, it's like a, it's a road that's constantly unfurling in front of you. And when you're, um, when, when you're not following that sort of thing, it can lead to, um, like just as an example, I had lots of friends that when I was a kid, like, you know, they would fall into the pitfalls of drug use because there are pitfalls of drug use, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it can sort of foster like a, um, almost a, a laziness that, 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 that can overtake your life and makes it confusing as far as a drive and, and um, the things that you want to do in your life. It, it's, uh, it's almost like a distraction at times. And I have, as an, as an artist, I had that to save me. I would go back and I had a purpose in life. And having a purpose in life is really important. Um, whatever that purpose is, if, uh, you know, hopefully it's a purpose that will help benefit mankind. But whatever purpose that that is, is really what drives people. And I tell every one of these parents that, like, you're kind of lucky to have this kid uh, where um, this path of being an artist will put them in contact with other people that are thinking long term. You know, uh, many of the teachers in art schools are in their, you know, they're at their end of their careers. They have a, a, a wise uh, sort of approach to how to approach artwork. All of their peers will have come from different places. You meet constantly through art and art school. You'll meet people whose perspectives are not what you grew up with. And that's a valuable um, aspect of art. Because if you're going to try and reach a wide uh, uh, group of people, because all art, while it's personal, it has a universal aspect to it as well. Everybody who reads it or watches it or looks at it has to understand what's happening and has to and has to communicate with that art on an emotional and mental level. Uh, as an artist, you are benefiting from meeting everybody that you can in order to understand where they're from so that you can connect with them in your artwork in a particular way so um you know these parents are lucky they just don't know it because they're worried about like all parents they're worried about their kids surviving in a very difficult environment um but i think that artwork does really um lend itself to to having a a place that you can develop a career as well as develop uh, a lifetime you're developing a, a way to look at the world. You're developing a way to sort of in, interact with the world that that not everybody's going to have access to. So there you go. I, I wandered well, off thank on you. another thing. No, so. You're good. I appreciate, <laughs> you know, the long-winded answers because it just, you know, answers a whole lot of other questions. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Um, I know we're close to time. Uh, so, you know, we'll start wrapping this up. I did have a couple, a couple more cocktail questions. Um, and I, I'll just go ahead and uh, reduce it to three more questions. Uh, so yeah. with the cockchew and then, uh, the poop monsters, uh, did you draw inspiration from, you know, anything that you've seen in the past or was that all just, uh, you know, from the, your mind? The monsters in the yeah, the monsters and the poop were, uh, I wanted, I always have a difficult time with uh, monsters that are very big 
and protagonists that are very small. So um, I needed to have uh, uh, things interacting with people on the ground because we were following an, a number of different uh, uh, paths like the, the main character's uh, wife and children are running around and I needed to have them threatened by something besides Kakshu. So it really was boiled down to, I need monsters <laughs> to threaten the local populace. So, and I was like, well, where are we gonna get that? And I thought, well, out of the poop works pretty well. So <laughs> in the first in the first time I draw pooping on everything, uh, there are no monsters in the poop. There's some skeletons and things like that. Cause I kind of felt like there would be things that he digested, but right. <laughs> but uh, there were no monsters. That was kind of a surprise to everybody on the on the ground level, as well as to me. When I was working on it, I was like, I need I need local monsters, you know what I mean? Like um human-sized monsters just <laughs> threw that in there i don't know exactly why those monsters are in there jerry even if you read the script jerry even has uh they're like oh we don't know why they're in there you know? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> i think it was more of a dig at me like you know from <laughs> we don't know why they're in there why are they in there so do we get to find out <laughs> why kakju is uh missing a chunk of his tail <clears throat> huh um i'll have to wait for the sequel or the prequel i guess okay um, yeah, i wanted i want him to be a wreck i wanted him to be not 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 on his best <laughs> so and... I, took a chunk of I gave him up teeth you know what i mean like i tried yeah. to make it so that the design of the monster wasn't really beholden to any particular um monster that existed before like especially the color of the monster we wanted to have we wanted to just go away from that green gray um, thing with a, a like a Godzilla or a King Kong or something like that. I, I needed it to be brighter. Uh, we wanted to just move in a different direction. It's it's like the fantasy book that I'm working on. It's there's a couple of aspects of it that I want to just try to add into the conversation about monster movies and things like that. Nice. So. And we've uh, brought up uh, Watchmen a few times, uh, Alan Moore. Uh, did you read the uh, the button story with the Flash and Batman? And if so, quick opinions on it. <laughs> uh, no, is that a recent issue or something like that? Uh, that came out, uh, the button. Um, it's when they make uh, Watchmen canon to uh, DC. Uh, came out probably in 2016, 2017. Okay um oh oh you mean uh uh uh, uh it's what was it called a, a doomsday clock or something like yeah that? yeah yeah i started reading doomsday clock i got oh like two or three issues in i gary frank is a tremendous artist and uh i thought that uh always uh that um jeff johns is always very thoughtful um but i I don't know. I hit a wall with that book a number of times. Like I started reading it. I would get a few issues in and then like six months later, I would realize I hadn't finished it. <laughs> and then I'd, I'd go back in, I'd get like another issue in and then just something would happen. That's kind of been my reading pattern the past couple, couple of years, to be honest. I don't know if it has anything to do with the material. It was just, it's just my reading pattern has been very, um, uh, I will start something, I will look at the last page to find out how it wrapped up, and then I just, I have to, I have all these other things that are pressing with my time, so I don't get to read as much as I, I would like, 
It happens, especially when but you're yeah, I guess busy. I, I read some of that stuff. I, yeah, I was busy. I thought it was a. Uh, I thought that what they were dealing with was it was a nice way to enter into that world mm -hmm. with a few new characters and things like that. But I don't know. I didn't get all the way through. Gotcha. So, and I then did like uh, before, I did like a Watchmen TV show. I thought yeah, that, really, that, that really, was really great. Yeah, yeah. that was great. So, but sorry, go ahead. No, you're you're fine. Uh, again, I know that your time is valuable and precious. So uh, last question I have for you here is if you could give your younger self any piece of advice, what would that advice be? Hmm. Well, I always run across this trouble uh, when I'm describing things to, because um, artists will come up to me and they'll ask for advice um, about uh, how to approach their artwork. And there's, there's a, a path that you're going to take when you're just starting out. You should be thinking about everything that you're doing in order to, to uh, understand better why you're doing it and what you're doing it for. But as you get older, the, the lesson is flipped on its head. You actually have to let go and stop thinking about whatever you're doing because the real um, joy in artwork as you get older is letting go of the things that you were working with at the beginning of it. So the pattern should be as you get older, not thinking about it at all. But, uh, but that's useless to artists when they're starting out. So uh, I wouldn't be able <laughs> to give myself the advice that I, I give myself now. Um, uh, you know, besides sort of patting myself on the head and going like, um, you're anxious and you were worried about everything and how you fit into the world. Um, it's it's the, those day-to-day -day approaches to your life that will make the big difference in the end. So, um, uh, meeting people, talking to people, uh, accepting the experiences as, uh, if they're novel experiences, accepting them as things that are going to participate in the whole as you get older. Um, not being as anxious and afraid of new experiences, um, because certainly I had that difficulty. Um, I was always looking for a mentor. I never found one, but I had people whose work meant a lot to me that I could base my own work on, uh, whether or not they knew me or not. Um, mm -hmm. So um, just to be a little less anxious about all the things that you're anxious about in the moment. I think that that's what I would tell myself um, if I had to tell myself anything. That's some solid advice. <laughs> yeah, and, all, all kind of. <laughs> and uh, just to wrap things up, I do want to say uh, if you want to listen to this podcast and other podcasts like it, you can go to geek-network.com. Uh, you can also find some news articles there as well, written interviews, and all across our social media handles, so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can find us at geeksaz. Uh, my handle would be Super Daniel all across the board. And then 
So Scott, um, any upcoming projects, uh, conventions, or your social media handles that we'd like to plug in at the moment? Yeah, uh, so you can find me on Instagram at Scott Koblish. Um, that's probably the best place to, to search for me and um, certainly the most rewarding. There is a fan page on Facebook, on Twitter, I'm at Koblish, but I'm debating bothering with the point. And um, uh, as far as conventions, yeah, there's a convention that I'm going to at the end of April. Uh, I don't know when this podcast comes out, but Calgary in Canada um that'll be the first time i've been in calgary in 30 years or more Whoa. and then, um there's a convention yeah there's a convention in morristown new jersey that i'm going to go to and that's the town that i was kind of um i spent most of my time uh between two and 18 so that's going to be kind of interesting to go back to that um that'll be an interesting convention to go to i've never been to that one it's apparently a pretty good one and then San Diego after that. So um, those are the conventions that are kind of big. Um, uh, so one in New Jersey, one in Calgary, one in San Diego, I'm trying to hit different aspects of the US. Um, Kachu issue number one is out now. Issue number two comes out on the 17th. Issue number three comes out on the 14th. Uh, on the 17th, Fantastic Four number 700 comes out which I did a huge cover for that. That's uh, over 700 Fantastic Four characters Jeez. over two wraparound <laughs> covers that, that joined together. That one was a lot of fun to do. Uh, it took me about a month to draw. Wow. And then that second issue comes out. I don't know why. I think it's on the 8th or 7th or something like that. So Support local you... comic book shops too, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I do want, you know, uh, in California, the rain is kind of slowed down. So... There's no excuse. Get out to a comic shop. Uh, the same with everybody else. But now that it's spring, you don't have to wrestle through snow. Go visit your local comic shop. Find out what they got the past couple months and go buy one or two of them. You know, there was a there's some really great stuff out there right now. There's uh, uh, collections of stuff that's from the past that are unbelievable. There's great comics that are coming out right now from every corner. Um, whether it's an uh, image or whether it's a uh, new, um, uh, I keep saying desultory, but I think it's, uh, I don't I think it's, uh, it doesn't have any vowels in it. So it's, I think it's distillery. Distillery, there's yes. There's a whole bunch of new, <laughs> yeah, there's a whole bunch of new ways to find comics. Uh, and I hope that people who, you know, who enjoy uh, this medium uh, can jump in and you can jump in anywhere. If, if you don't want to follow all the Batman stuff from a million years, <laughs> there are comic books out there that only have like a year's worth of material and jump on them as if it's a, a new book that you're reading or a new show that you're watching or something like that. Um, you know, graphic novels are kind of the streaming service model, you know, where you can get like five or six episodes all at one, one right. jump. <laughs> so we have a lot of available things for comics. Uh, comics are... Uh, never been in a better place, I think, um, as far as the possibilities for artists, as far as the possibilities for uh, for putting your ideas out there. Uh, we've never been in a better place. So I agree. Yay, comics. <laughs> and All thank right. you very much for the interview. I appreciate it. Yeah, and man. Thank you to everybody. For 